0: And now, Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks.
2: What's going on, everybody? DJ Bucky here, Move the Sticks, as we are one week away from taking off to Indianapolis for the scouting combine, uh, which is a good thing. We love this time of year. There's nothing better. Bucky and I enjoy talking about these players, which we're going to do a little later on in this episode. going to go through Bucky's top five position list on the defensive side of the ball. If you missed the offensive side, uh, go back and listen to the previous episode. We're going to take you behind the curtain a little bit and tell you what goes on in draft meetings that NFL teams are having uh, right now as well. But, Buck, I think we ought to start the show off with, uh, with a tweet. Why don't you hit us with a tweet that just hit the uh, Twitterverse?
1: Unbelievable. Uh, perennial Pro wide receiver Antonio Brown, who has discussed being one uh, to be shot, one to move on, uh, he tweeted today, had a great meeting with Mr. Rooney today. We discussed a lot of things, and we cleared the air on several issues. We both agreed that it is time to move on, but I always have appreciation and gratitude towards the Rooney family and Steelers organization. Hashtag call God. Hashtag booming.
2: Well, just give me your thoughts. Immediate thoughts. This is this is a real-time <laughs> reaction because this literally uh, just came down. So give oh, me your, uh, your thoughts on, oh my uh, on the whole situation.
1: Oh, uh, man, that's – it's kind of unbelievable. Like, it's unbelievable. If this is what happened, if they kind of agreed to part ways, didn't he kind of torpedo all the leverage in the trade market? Like, I mean, i got to move him. So you have to move him. They talked about having to move on from him. But I don't mm-hmm. even know what he necessarily commands on the open market. I know we talked about Amari Cooper bringing back a first-round pick from the Oakland Raiders when the Dallas Cowboys made that swap. Antonio Brown is a little older. Antonio Brown has had more issues than Amari Cooper. Um, We can talk about the production being significantly greater. I mean, six seasons with over 100 catches, over 1,200 yards. I had 15 touchdowns this past season. But I really don't know what are you willing to give up because he seems like such a wild card. Like, um, I think this is a unique situation for a team because you're trying to figure out how does – A.B. fit into your locker room? How is he going to impact your younger receivers? How is he going to be as a route runner in a a detailed and disciplined system? Because some of the things they do in Pittsburgh is a little more freelance oriented. I don't know, man. I think this is ultimately going to be a hard trade for the Steelers to pull off. And that's before we even get to the money that we're talking about with the cap hit and the amount of money that you have to pay A.B., um, I think this may take a while, but I know that they did have a deadline because he has a roster bonus due. I think March 2nd. See, the March 2nd of March 5th, he has like a two, two and a half million dollar roster bonus. So everything has to kind of be done by that point because I'm sure the
2: Steelers don't want to come out of pocket then have to trade him. All right, here's my my initial thought to this whole thing. Um, I'm looking back to last year, the Kansas City Chiefs who had a lot of a lot of impressive pieces in place. When you talk about the tight end that they had in Kelsey. Uh, Tyreek Hill was already there. He had Kareem Hunt at the time. This was long before anything happened with him off the field. That That is a dynamic nucleus. They had a new young quarterback taking over. They knew had a ton of ability. And it looked like, okay, defensively, they've got some good pieces there. This is a pretty balanced team. And what did they do? They decided to trade Marcus Peters. They go acquire Sammy Watkins. And it was basically, we're going to outscore people. We're, we have a great offense. We're going to make it greater, <laughs> what they did, adding to an already dynamic offense. So, If I'm looking at teams around the league right now, Buck, that have really good offenses, that maybe have some holes on the other side of the ball, maybe some holes on the offensive line, wherever, but that might just decide, you know what, we're going to just add another incredible weapon to what we already have and we're going to outscore people. And and I'm kind of scrolling through the the Mm -hmm. draft order and I'm looking at teams. Now, this would be inside the AFC. It's not inside the division, but inside the conference. And I know the Houston Texans have other needs. But can you just imagine, just close your eyes and imagine for a minute with Hopkins and then you got a healthy Fuller and now all of a sudden you drop Antonio Brown in there with Deshaun Watson, what that offense would look like?
1: I mean, it would be crazy. Uh, it would be crazy to, to, to think about what he could possibly do. Um, but if you're the Pittsburgh Steelers, can you move him to someone in the AFC? Are you relegated to making sure that he ends up in the so then, NFC? Well, then
2: find me an NFC team. When you go through here, find me an NFC team that's dynamic offensively that maybe you know you get one more piece. It you know, the Packers is a new it's a new era now. Oh, man, I guess. He would he would eat up that Bay? coach instead. There's
1: no way you can bring him to Green Bay. He would that's eat w- up that's why like, I'm you saying I'm trying to find coach. that team. Like forget about it. Uh okay, so the team that has always been discussed, frequently discussed, has been the San Francisco 49ers. Yeah. Uh the reason why the that's 40, not a di-
2: I mean it's not a a offense. It's not a special, din- offense, not right a special
1: offense, but I think the one saving grace with the 49ers, Kyle Shanahan has dealt with Julio Jones in terms of being able to script and make sure that his top guy gets all of his touches. Now I don't know how much better it makes them to bring A B in with the rest of the mix, but certainly maybe it can close the gap on some of the teams within the division. Um outside of that in the NFC.
2: What about the Falcons? You just mentioned Julio Jones. I mean how about that offense? You threw him in the mix. I mean, yeah, you have to move on from you gotta move on from
1: Sunu if you bring him in there. Uh I mean, it it it'd be terrific, but can DQ handle all of that? Then you got to pay Julio because you know Julio's going to want to get paid. He had a lot
2: of personalities. I know he wasn't the head coach there in Seattle, but he was running that defense with a lot of personalities and it worked out quite well. So
1: I think with AB, you have to think if this is a two-year rental, two years,
2: right? That's why I'm saying. That's why I'm trying to find that team that's on the cusp. Two-year rental. Who
1: is close? Minnesota's there. He can't go to Detroit because he wouldn't fit in with the Matt Patricia thing. I don't. Think.
2: I don't think he would want to go to Carolina just because. Yeah, I don't think that. Yeah, Cam. That's a great fit, but man, be a nice weapon. It would be a nice weapon. Um, New Orleans. Kashawn
1: Payton. What about Seattle?
2: Yes, guess, man. But That's a blue-collar receiver room. That is a blue-collar receiver room that would be bringing in a white-collar dude. I mean, they'd be bringing in that. Like, how
1: would he and Doug Baldwin coexist better yet? How would he exist with Russell Wilson? Um, I mean, he's barking at, at Big Ben. He can't bark at Russell like that. I mean, there's a lot to work through when it comes to that. But Pete Carroll well, just fun. It's just It's fun way, to kind of workshop man, he this, has a though, way find a team. To do that stuff. Where I mean, where else are we looking? I mean, Washington – Would always be the team that typically can do it, but they don't have a quarterback. The
2: Eagles are never afraid to go with a bold move.
1: Okay, knowing everything
2: that you know about them,
1: do you think they could slide him in there
2: and he could be effective? I mean, he would give them something that they don't really have. I mean, they took a chance on Golden Tate. I mean, totally different guy, though. I mean, this is an elite, elite, elite. Oh, no, no,
1: no. I'm saying that, but I think Golden Tate has a bit of a personality as well. Um, he certainly would upgrade them from what they have on the outside. Uh, he's never been challenged to play in an offense that is as detailed as maybe the West Coast and the version that Doug Peterson is running. Yeah. But knowing what Doug Peterson had at his disposal when he was at Kansas City and seeing how all of that weaponry changes the way your quarterback plays, it would be I intriguing. Mean, if you, if Those two tight ends they have plus A.B. Then if they went out and got a running back, pretty explosive. I don't
2: know. Pretty Not explosive. crazy, right?
1: Nah, pretty explosive. Yeah, you know the know place where he bit. really would—the place where he really would work out and possibly fit would be down in Tampa. Now, if it wasn't for the issues and the beef that he had with Bruce Arians in the offseason season, where Bruce Arians kind of called him out and called him a diva, he could slide in easily to where Deshaun Jackson is moving out and give them a little something different.
0: Yeah,
2: it's uh, it's going to be fascinating to see what happens. Like you said, the leverage is not uh, really in the Steelers' corner uh, when you know what that do you give up for him? Then? Like, what do you
1: give up for him now? Now that you know that he doesn't want to return, you're a team that is willing to make a deal. What are you willing to give up? Are you are you forced to give up a number one? Do you wait and see if you can get away with the two? Is it below I think, that?
2: See, I think I think you're going to have to give up a one. I I, I do. I know you got to pay him. I know he's older then Cooks and Sammy Watkins two guys we've seen get traded uh for ones, right? Was uh, was Sammy a one or was Sammy a two? Man, it seems like it's so long ago, but it wasn't that long ago. Sammy Watkins. It was a two, right? They
1: tra- when they traded for him? Uh, I think it was yeah, a two. When, I think it was a two. I think, yeah, the Rams, I think it was when a two, the Rams yes. made that move. Yes.
2: If it's not if it's not a one buck, it's it's going to be a it's going to be probably two twos or a two and a three. I mean, it's going to be two it's going to take two picks in my opinion inside the first 3 rounds or it's going to at least just take one first round pick. And maybe you can try and push that off. Maybe it's a combination you say, "Look, I will give you a a third or a fourth round pick this year and it's a one the following year." If you're a team that's picking in like if you're San Francisco, you're not going to trade the second pick. No. So, but maybe it's a situation where you say, "We will give you the following year's one, 2021, or we're going to give you, you know, a two, you know, a two this year is a darn high two uh, for the 49ers. So maybe it's a two this year and a and a three or a four the following year. But it, I think it would take a couple picks.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it's going to take a couple t- picks. I, I, I would like to see is there a power broke in the second round? They would be willing to give up multiples, two twos. Three twos, something like that. Because you know how we view twos. A lot of teams view twos as like that's a potential starter. So if you're able to yeah. kind of amass, if you can't get the one that you want, maybe you get a handful of twos and maybe a future two, something that you can package and kind of put in place and see what happens. But man, if you're the Pittsburgh Steelers, you're talking about having to really, I mean, you can part ways with the running back, you can part ways with the wide receiver. Whew, boy.
2: You better hope the it's big man
1: can carry it because – Well, I'm
2: telling you, the, the 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 glue, the glue in that whole organization is Munchak. I think Munchak, he built that offensive line. He constructed that line. They got them rolling. I thought all, everybody on that offensive line – there are some good players there. But I think everybody on that offensive line played above their ability level with Mike Munchak. And collectively as a group, they played really well. Now you take what I think is the glue in Munchak out of there. And I think, I think when it's all said and done next year – Depending on what happens in Pittsburgh. If it doesn't go well, I think people are going to point to the absence of Le'Veon Bell. People are going to point to the absence. It looks like here of Antonio Brown. I'm telling you, Buck, the Munchak thing is huge. That is a huge, well. I mean, huge yeah, it's, it's that.
1: And so, like the funny, the funny thing is, um, there's a lot of heat on Mike Tomlin. I mean, despite his record, despite his accolades and all the other stuff. That I mean, this kind of puts everything. Uh, on him puts him squarely in the crosshairs because when you lose these two guys, because right now the narrative is the Pittsburgh Steelers are so proper, a lot of drama, Um, You had a guy who elected not to show up, stayed away from team, Olivia and Bill. You had the drama that ensued following that with the offensive line, taking shots and uh, ransacking the locker and all that other stuff, whether it's in fun or not. Uh, You have AB not electing to play the final game, whether it's that for disciplinary reasons when Mike Thomas said he didn't show up for training or whatever. He didn't play. You have a quarterback who is always kind of in the middle of something, Uh, even though he's viewed as the leader of the franchise, it just seems like there's a lot of discord and dysfunction. And so the team that you tried on in 2019 is less talented than the team that you had, but will they be more productive? Um, I think it's going to take a Herculean coaching effort from him and his crew to be able to get this team, not only back into the playoffs, but to make them be a, a viable contender in an AFC that they were viewed as one of the top
2: two or three teams for the past three, four, five years. You know, uh, you know who's enjoying this whole this whole deal, by the way? John Dorsey. Oh, I mean, yeah. John Dorsey is looking at this division and saying this next decade, it might be ours. I know the Baltimore Ravens might have something to say about that and with Lamar Jackson and company, but just looking at the roster construction – and where the ceiling is and where they are right now, mm-hmm. I would say if we are on a roller coaster, Buck, the Browns are climbing up that thing and the Steelers have hit the down slope. And it, is, uh, it, it looks very, very opportunistic right now for the folks in Cleveland.
1: Uh, it looks op- opportunistic for the folks in Cleveland, but also the folks in Baltimore. Um, I think the thing that I'm curious about with Cleveland, Cleveland has gotten to the mix. Cleveland is, is a nice story. Cleveland was right around 500. But, you know, the hardest thing to do is go from good to great in this league. And now that everyone has seen them, everyone is aware of them, everyone will now treat them with the level of respect. They'll get everyone's best game. We will see if the quarterback suffers a bit of a sophomore slump now that all the tape is out there on him. We also will see how does Freddie Kitchens handle being the head coach. Now he's the, the head coach as opposed to just the offensive coordinator and play caller. Uh, a lot of different roles, new defensive coordinator in Steve Wilkes. A lot of moving parts that the Cleveland Browns have to assemble while still kind of trying to be back on track and overtake the Pittsburgh Steelers. And remember, the Baltimore Ravens are the team that won a division last year.
2: No doubt. It's going to be, uh, it's going to be a fun division to follow. Uh, I and mean, then we'll see what these teams do in the offseason, too. Cleveland Browns still have some money to spend, so they, uh, they could continue to add to a very impressive young nucleus. All right, Buck. This is an interesting time of year because uh, these teams are in draft meetings. Who, who are we kidding? I can't contain this anymore. Manny Machado's a Padre, <laughs> Buck. This I is cannot, breaking news. Okay, I cannot
1: believe we're spending time on the podcast. A podcast that is dedicated to college and pro football. In this the is draft. a sports. This, hey, this, this is, is a sports podcast. The developed to talking about future and the champions. The Padres signing and that's somebody, somebody are, that's going champions. to help them continue to
2: finish in the cellar. No. I mean, come on. It's not happening. Are, are we serious? We have the number one farm system. We've got talent coming up. Man. Now we've got an infield with Manny Another Machado on away. one side. We've got Hosmer on the other side. We've got Urias. We've got Tatis, the best young shortstop, coming up. And we've got arms for days, Buck. The Padres, man. Get used to it. This is going to be a team. It's going to be the reign of the Padres for a decade. Not this year. Okay. Starting next year.
1: Okay. Okay. All right. I, I, I hear you. I'll, I'll, wait. Okay. All right. I'll wait. We can get on to football now. I'll wait <laughs> for it. So yes. unbelievable. So, so excited. I mean this is great. Let's just, uh, let's, just right. imagine, I'm, uh, let's just let's imagine let's just imagine that you're you're not distracted by the Padres. I mean, I didn't know free agency was still existing because I thought pitches and catches have reported, but <laughs> evidently you still can sign people in string training to big deals. So Bryce Harper's next. We'll see where he lines up. Most of us in the football world. Did you world, see what he got? Did you see what he got? What like 10 year. 300 million, 10 right?
2: years, 300.
1: I mean, you know how that worked out for Albert Pro right? Oh, wow, I feel a lot of shade being thrown right I'm now. Just saying, you saw how it works out. Like, I mean, it'll the be good great news for is, the years.
2: good news is for you, the good news is for you and all your fellow Dodger fans is you're gonna get a chance to, I, I, I'm sure you probably get one more chance to lose a World Series, and then <laughs> and then we'll start taking over. We'll actually get there and go ahead and finish one of those things off.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I'll hold my breath. Maybe Steve Garvey <laughs> this will come so back. Good. I don't know. All right.
2: Draft meetings, Buck. Draft meetings are taking place for a lot of teams right now. Uh, I know you you talk to your buddies around the league, and it's tough to get a hold of them right now because they're in draft meetings all day long. Uh, So for those that don't know, and we were in different environments, different organizations handled these differently. So uh, this round of draft meetings, before you get to the combine, what went on in those meetings in your experience? Okay, so
1: obviously we had different experiences. I come from the Ron Wolf tree uh, where – This is probably taking place right now in Seattle and Cleveland. Where else do we have some descendants? Uh, But Seattle and Cleveland and Green Bay, for sure, like what is happening right now from the next two to three weeks, we're going to the combine. Everyone is sitting around a round table, and they are in the dark, and they are looking at tape. And what they're doing is, in alphabetical order, we talk about the draft board being vertical and horizontal. The horizontal board is when you have every position. So let's just say we'll start at our meetings with offensive tackle, guard, centers. Then we go to wide receivers, tight ends, running backs, quarterbacks. And what they're doing in those meetings, in alphabetical order, they're looking at every prospect that has a draftable grade by one of the area scouts. They are going through the process of watching three games on that player um, as a group. And what you're trying to do with the collective think tank is by doing it this way, you don't have to do cross-checks. And cross-checks basically say that I'm an area scout in the West. I leave my area for a couple weeks and go to the Southeast. I do a handful of schools in the Southeast so we can have another set of eyes on the prospects that the primary area scout has already looked at so we get other opinions. When I worked in that system, we didn't do cross-checks, and what we did is we just watched it all as a group, and this kind of acted as the cross-check. What I liked about this system, it gave me an opportunity as a guy that was in the West Coast looking at all Pac-12 talent. It gave me an opportunity to look at guys in the SEC, in the Big Ten, and the Big East, when the Big East existed, the AAC, and to then begin to understand what plays in my area versus other areas. And then what we were able to do is kind of amend our grades based on what we've seen throughout the country. So I'm not just grading people blindly. I now have a better sense of, and look, my first rounder in the West is not as good as the guy in the Southeast. So as we're slotting the board, let's make sure we slot the guy from Arkansas over my guy from SC and the like. And so it gave me a clear perspective of who's who and what's what prior to the combine. So now when I'm watching the combine and I'm watching all these guys kind of do the underwear Olympics, I now have film study in my background to now go with what I'm watching on the field. And so it gave me a better feel for what the prospect really is.
2: Yeah, I think it's important to have these meetings before the combine too because we use this phrase when we discuss this time of year, anchoring. You want to kind of anchor these guys to the board where you're going to have some movement after the combine. Look, a guy, you know, you're you worried about his speed. He runs 4-3. You can move up. You're going to you're going to move up. You're going to move down a little bit based off what you see in the interview process as well as what goes on in the testing uh, there in Indianapolis. But you want to have them anchored to the board so that you do not going to have wild swings. You're not going to have seventh-round grades on a guy going into, the, going into Indy and all of a sudden push him up to the first round. So you got to get him up on the board, that initial board. This is the first time that board has really come together Mm -hmm. uh, during these meetings. So I know a lot of people talk about, oh, this guy's moving up and down team's draft boards. Now the draft board really hadn't been set until really right about now. This is the meetings that take place where you do that. Going over the background of these guys and then reading them all together. And I don't know about you, Buck, but there were times, I, I definitely remember these, where you start your school calls in August, and then you're putting in grades as you go. So you have to turn in your grades each and every week. So if I'm going into a school, if I'm going into Oklahoma in August, I write the player, I'll put him in the system. Now I might go back through the bigger schools later and get a, get two mm-hmm. looks at them. Mm-hmm. And you can maybe update that report, update the grade. But that goes in the book. Especially the smaller schools usually you only get one look. So give me a better example here. If, if you're going to uh, um, like Azusa Pacific out yes. here, you're covering the West. Mm-hmm. You go there in August, you're watching tape really from the year before. You put him in the books. And then, uh, and then you get to the, to the draft meetings. And at that point in time, you'll have cross-checks come in. They'll watch later tape, this year's tape, and they'll kind of cross-check you. But um, one of the things that's interesting is you go into school early in the year, and you might give a guy a grade. You haven't seen anybody else. You haven't watched you know as many guys over the summer. So you have an idea of what he is. Now you get to the meetings during this time of year, and you get your report out, and we are going to go over all the uh, 61s or the 63s, which are, you know, you're talking about third-round picks, second-round picks, and you look at the report and you go, oh, man, I know I gave this guy a 61 in August, but listen to all these other guys get talked about and what they can and can't do. I was way off on this dude. Mm-hmm. You kind of just got to eat it a little bit in that meeting, and it kind of adjusts as you are. doesn't happen with a bunch of guys. There's always a handful of guys that once you start reading him after revisiting him after months, uh, you realize, man, I was either too high or too low on this guy.
1: Yeah, I mean, some of that definitely takes place. And I think what everyone has to understand, typically in, in most front offices, like, people will tell you, look, we're not married to our grades. Like Things change Like when you're on the road or whatever. Like It's really a first look. You're trying to get him in so everyone knows where we need to have coverage, where we need to get other eyes, and the like. The main thing we want to do is we want to make sure we get the player right by draft day. We want to make sure that we know everything about him from the background and character to the way that he learns to his leadership ability to then the way that he plays and the way that he's played on tape. I believe, and I've said this numerous times, and we've talked about this, we should really put the pin down before the beginning of the combine because the closest evaluation and the truest read that we have on how our player plays is when football is being played. And once football is done and we're away from that, we only begin to mess things up when we begin to let other things kind of cloud our evaluation, whether that's combine workouts, pro day workouts, um, even talking to the kid more where you begin to like the kid and you kind of excuse away some of the things that you may not like on tape. For me, I found that it's, it's kind of like what was Gladwell's book, Blink. Typically, your first impression on a player is probably the truest gauge, now, whether it's right or wrong, but you end up feeling better. In my experience, I've always um, end up kicking myself when I grade a guy early. I feel good about that grade. Then somewhere along the line, I kind of talk myself out of it. And then when he plays in the National Football League, he ends up being what I thought initially. And I just think that we are better served if we can kind of get all of the film evaluation done before we see him run around in uh, T-shirts and shorts because (laughs) it changes, and it changes what we may see, and we don't want to kind of chase ghosts and evaluate ghosts. You want to make sure that we grade the player for the player. Uh, The film is really the DNA of the player.
2: Yeah, no, it's a good point, and and there's uh, some teams that really don't pay as much attention to the combine. They are able to put that in the in the background and don't really. I thought. See, I thought I
1: thought you came from a spot in Baltimore. I always thought that you guys kind of ignored combine and pro day workouts. That's not the case.
2: No, I mean, look, the tape was. We had the guys anchored on the board, no question. Okay. We we looked at it from a standpoint of it can help in, in in breaking ties inside the same grade. So. Not going to take a player you have a fourth-round grade on and move them over a player you had a third-round grade on. But if you have three offensive tackles and, and you have them in that, and, and we didn't use rounds, but just so people mm-hmm. can understand what we're talking about. But if you had them in like a third-round area grade and you had so identical grades on three tackles, now you go to the combine, we, one guy aced the interview, aced the workout. Uh, the other guy, we were a little uncomfortable with the with the interview and didn't have a great workout, then that is a deciding factor. That can be break ties. That makes sense when you're looking inside those little clumps.
1: Yeah, so for us, and it it all stems from from Ron Wolf. we always talked about not only with the combine and pro days, but we also talked about all-star games. These things can never hurt you. They only can help you. So we won't drop you per se, because you didn't have a great combine workout or you didn't work out well on your pro day. But what it made us do is just kind of revisit the tape and just make sure we feel good about what we saw on tape. And if something showed up based on a red flag that may have popped up in a workout, we just wanted to see if speed was an issue. For example, uh, Joe Hayden, we use Joe Hayden now. I wasn't scouting for a team, then. we were both working, I think, NFL Network at the time. But Joe Hayden, Joe Hayden ran slow at the combine. So say he ran 4-7 at the Combine. What you then would do is say, hey, let's go back and pop in some tape. Let's watch him play versus Alabama. Let's watch him play versus LSU because we know LSU has some guys. Did the speed deficiency show up? And if it didn't show up on tape – then you just kind of say, hey, maybe the guy just is not a great tester. Uh, We'll go down and work him out, and we'll kind of see if he, he does a better time, and we'll move him around and do some of the drills. But if it didn't show up on tape and we feel good about the workout when we saw him with our DB coach, then typically we didn't move or make an adjustment on the board. But it's just important to give those workouts some context. It is really just to confirm what you saw on tape. It's not to take place of what you also saw on tape.
2: All right, we talked about uh, going through your defense, Buck. We don't have a ton of time left, but I do want to go through. No, we can we go through. We got your top like five by position. Let's just name off the top five, and then give me the reason why you have why you have the person at number one on this list. You ready, to roll?
1: Yeah, let's do it. So, defensive right, tackle. Off
2: defensive tackle. Here we go:
1: Quinn Williams, Jeffrey Simmons, Christian Wilkins, Ed Oliver, and Dexter Lawrence. To me, Williams is the dude. Williams is a guy that kind of reminds me a little bit of Indomitian Sue and Sheldon Richardson in terms of how he can dominate on the inside. Uh, This would have been not one that was close, but I felt like Jeffrey Simmons was kind of gaining ground and would have been in the conversation as a top guy as we continue through the process before the ACL. But to me, Williams is the guy, the way the league is trending, you have to have someone on the inside that can be a disruptor. Williams is that for me.
2: All right, let's get to the uh, the edge rushers here. It's a good group of edge rushers, and uh, where you have them, one through five, and why number one?
1: Nick Bosa, Josh Allen, Rashawn Gary, Clellan Farrell, and Montez Sweat. Uh, Nick Bosa, to me, is the most polished of all the edge rushers. Uh, I'm not saying he's the most explosive athlete or the most dynamic player, but if pass rushing is an art, he definitely learns how, he knows how to kind of paint a Picasso. He is a terrific hand-to-hand combat player, does a great job with his first step quickness, and he just has a knack for getting home. I believe the best pass rushers are the ones who are craftsmen, and he has that ability. That's why I like him at number one.
2: Yeah, and then four and five, you had Farrell and Sweat. That's going to be an interesting comparison because that is a classic case of the big athlete with the length and everything you want there in Sweat versus maybe a little bit more productive, a little more consistent football player in Farrell who's a little bit stronger as well. That's going to be a, a debate for teams and rooms all over the league.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's going to be a, it's going to be an interesting one to watch. But look, Sweat made up a lot of ground. I think he really opened the eyes in the scouting community the way he performed down at the senior bowl. All
2: right, let's go to linebackers. Here we go.
1: Uh, we got Devin White, Bush, Mac Wilson, Trevin Lamar, and then Joseph Tafaya, who from UTEP, who really kind of caught my eye when I did a game versus Marshall. But Devin White, to me, is the sideline to sideline playmaker that everyone loves. He is not only a guy that is instinctive and aware and makes plays, kind of running and chasing, he's the leader. He has the intangible qualities to be the traffic cop, and ultimately you want your inside linebacker to be able to do those things. I think that separates him from some of the other guys. He just has that size, the physicality, toughness, and then the communication skills that you wanted to position.
2: Yeah, a couple other guys that, uh, that didn't quite make the list that I've been going through these linebackers the last couple of days, so they're fresh in my mind here. But David Long from West Virginia, I think the more you see him, the more you're going to enjoy studying him, Buck. And then Bobby Okereke from Stanford who has just – look, he's got the length, he's got the speed – uh, a little bit inconsistent on tape, but he's somebody I think that will kind of rise up through the process. One of the linebackers i throw out there is Tavai from Hawaii, who's big and yes. long, plays on the edge, also mm-hmm. plays off the ball. So he's he's been versatile. He can run. Uh, he'll be interesting. And then Terrell Hanks from New Mexico State. I have all those guys kind of bunched in together. So I'll make sure The combine will sort
1: them out. That's what we yeah, talked about. Yeah, the combine will sort
2: them out. And for us, getting a chance to see these guys in person. Now, the scouts have had a chance to go out there and body type these guys and see them all live and in person. We've seen some of these guys at the Senior Bowl, but not all of them. So – I'm looking forward to seeing them all in, in person and get to size them up a little bit. All right, hop the corners.
1: Here we go Greedy Williams at one, Byron Murphy, DeAndre Baker, Trayvon Mullen, and Rock Yassin uh, brings up number five. And Greedy Williams, for me, I think the fascination over the length, the ability to play press corner, uh, the fact that he has tremendous interception production in his background. I think his ball skills are terrific. But I'm, I'm going to say this. I really like Byron Murphy from Washington. He is kind of my kind of player in terms of, like, smart, tough, physical on the edge. I think he has a chance to be a really, really good player in time.
2: Yeah, to me, Greedy's a tough one. You know, I have him right now. We'll see when I do this update. But I've got him, I believe, in my fourth corner. Um, Buck, he's, he has got the length and he's got the kind of a build-up speed and he's got great ball skills. I just go back when I self-scout and find corners I've missed on. A lot of times they're missing a little bit of that grit, a little bit of that toughness, and that to me is a little bit of the question there when I studied Greedy Williams, where I couldn't just go all in uh, mm-hmm. on him in that area. I want to see him be just a little bit more competitive.
1: Yeah, I mean, you like to see him bang a little bit. I think part of why I may be giving him a little bit of a break is because LSU has been so good producing guys that go to the league and play and play well. Uh, I'm thinking that it's somewhere in his DNA, and at some point, that Tiger Bait is going to kind of kick in, and he's going to be the player that we've talked about, that
2: we were excited about when he was a younger player. All right, let's get to uh, the safeties. Jonathan Abram,
1: Deontay Thompson, Nasir Adderley, Taylor Rapp, and then Lucas Dennis. Um, and Abram, man, I just love the physicality. He's a little more old school. And he's an alpha some, dog, man. He's an alpha dog. He comes downhill. He is not afraid to be in the box and to be violent. At the point of attack, he does a great job of knocking people down and and tackling. I think the one thing, you want to rein him in and make sure he's under control because he had a number of penalties during his time at Mississippi State. But in terms of an enforcer, every secondary needs someone that can be an enforcer between the hashes. Man, Abram is certainly that guy.
2: Now he's a, He is a fun player to watch and a fun player. I get a chance to visit with him a little bit. Uh, he's somebody I think teams are going to fall in love with when they're with him. And I think Taylor Rapp and Adderley is going to be interesting to see those guys as they kind of battle throughout the process. I think both those guys have a chance to go ahead of Deontay Thompson. We'll see how it all shakes out. Those two guys, though, I'm watching those workouts, Adderley and Rap, When you're watching the combine, compare those two guys. I think that's a debate that's taking place in rooms.
1: Oh, for sure. I mean, you, you, you talk about guys who are terrific getting around the ball, who are smart, who kind of have the character that you want. Um, you can't go wrong. We talk about it in this business. You cannot go wrong hitting singles and doubles. I can't say that those guys are home runs, but I do know they're solid players, and I think you can plug them in, and you can feel good about the position for the next five or six years.
2: All right, Buck, that's, uh, that's good work, and you're going to be able to uh, – we're going to put out a video here hopefully within the next week we'll be able to see uh, some footage of these guys that Bucky has in his top five list, so be on the lookout for that. Uh, Buck, what, uh, do we know what we're working on here, Notebook, this week? What do we got? Man, I imagine that Antonio Brown
1: would certainly be in the conversation. Uh, Nanity has decided that he wants to move on. I know we talked about it, but you're still kind of holding out hope. But Nanity tweeted a pitch out with, with the Rooney. Yeah, I think I think it's time to talk about where you may go.
2: Yeah, that will be, uh, be on the lookout for that. That's NFL.com slash Bucky Brooks. And uh, I think it's probably time for us to go. i got to go buy my World Series tickets. Uh, we are going to uh, – I don't know. I think we probably maybe a year. Take us a year. And then we'll <laughs> Manny Machado. I love it. All right, that's going to do it for us today. Any final thoughts before we get out of here, Buck? No, that's it. I cannot believe that you are so excited about the Padres right now. Oh, it's so good. I love it. You have the best young <laughs> infield in the in the, uh, in the major leagues here very soon. All right, that's going to do it for us today. I'll move the sticks. Thanks for listening. Thanks for putting up with my Padre fandom. Uh, we will be back uh, soon in a day or so with a new podcast as we march towards the 2019 scouting combine as well as a 2019 NFL draft football. This is an off season. There is no off season. We love it here right here on Move the Sticks.
0: Thanks for downloading Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. For more, go to nfl.com/podcasts. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring